All right, we are in week 18 uh, of Ephesians, which is uh, wild. This is just the six, six chapters, but we've been slowly taking our time working through this, this book. And maybe this is the most you've ever uh, read this book or most you've ever uh, dove, delved, dove, dived into it. Um, you know, that word I'm looking for, that, uh, that maybe, maybe you've never read it before. And so I just hope that it would be, that it's been, it's been beneficial. I know I've enjoyed uh, getting in, into this book the way and at the depth that we have been. Um, so before though I began, and, and so if you're here for the first time or you haven't you know, been following through in Ephesians, I want to give a little bit of context. Um, just because chapter one through three, um, it's just, it's such a glorious these verses and passages all about God and Jesus and his glory and how he saves us from our sin, uh, that he loves us when we're sinners, that all these just, just awesome verses about Christ and his love for us, for everybody. And, and then in, in chapter four, though, there's this, there's this shift uh, that is now, okay, church, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to address you and we're going to talk about uh, maybe some issues that you have or the church has, fill in the blank. And, and specifically, he's talking to the church there in Ephesus, um, but there are a lot of applications directly to us as a New Testament church that would have been the same for, for Ephesus. And, and, and yet what can happen is that when we get to chapter four, five, and six, it can, it can read as a, a, bunch of, a bunch of rules to follow. And that's just not the, the necessarily the case. This is a talk about this this new life that we're there's a change in perspective. And so I've I've said this since we've gotten into chapter three, and, and I and I have to say it again because I think especially as we look at relationships, uh, as we did last week and, and this week, that it's very easy to just focus in and narrow in on, on, on these verses and and what does it mean? Like what does it mean to say children obey your parents? Let's look at that and, which we are going to look at that. And okay, what how do I obey and what does it mean to when do I stop being a child to my parent? And we can we can do that all day long. But if we don't if we lose the context, if we lose the greater, bigger picture of that this is a this is now a new life that I have in Christ. It's a new way of living and, and I've read this every week and I'm gonna read it again. Uh, Douglas Moose says this, in this passage, flesh and spirit stand over against each other, not as parts of a person or some anthropological dualism, good and bad or evil, nor even as um, impulses or powers within a person, but as the powers or dominating features of the two realms of salvation history. To walk according to the flesh then is to have one's life determined and directed by the values of this world, of the world in rebellion against God. It is a lifestyle that is purely human in its orientation. To walk according to the spirit, on the other hand, is to live under the control and according to the values of the new age created and dominated by God's spirit as his eschatological gift and just a, a culmination of all things. That we are gonna, that this is, I'm putting on, a, I'm changing my clothes, I'm walking into a new, a new realm that is now in Christ. Not just this old versus new of these imperatives of do this, do this and you'll live. That's Old Testament language, which we're gonna look at a little bit today. And, and then versus the indicative, that this is now, this is a way of life. I now, I now get to do this, right? I have to do it versus I'm able to or I get to. And then I, oh, I'm gonna, I can do this on my own versus now about Christ. Christ has changed my heart. He's changed my motivation. And so uh, last week we looked at Christ's relationship with the church in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33, uh, some very controversial uh, passages. And yet looking at it, what's the point of the text? 
And the point of the text is it wasn't a sermon on marriage. It wasn't a sermon on wives. It wasn't a sermon on the church, or excuse me, on the, it was a sermon on the church, about husbands. It's a sermon on, on the church, relationships, Christ's relationship within the church. And he uses very human analogies to, to highlight this relationship that Christ has with the church. And so we kind of did this, this plot twist looking at uh, 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 the Sixth Sense with Bruce Willis, uh, directed by M. Night Shyamalan. And, and I, I looked it up just the other day. This came out in 1999. So I know that there are people in here that weren't even born when this movie came out. So I know you might not necessarily get the context, but right, I see dead people, kind of this plot twist that happens at the end. And you got to go back and rewatch the movie to see, does it actually work? Uh, is, is Bruce Willis really dead the whole time? Um, and so, uh, and so we kind of started with that. We started with this, this mystery. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So he, he talks about that we submit to one another and talks about wives submit to your husbands, husbands, you love your wives. And he's saying, but all these different, we can throw out the language, do all we wanna do and study this passage on relationships. But the main point of this text is that it's talking about Christ and the church. And so we just kind of walked through and answered and asked this question at each section. What are these verses saying about Christ and the church? Well, this morning is a very similar thing. And so I just called Christ's relationship with the church part two. Uh, that this is just a continuing thought. And so if we, we take these verses, Ephesians 6, 1 through 9, and just look at the relationships, we're missing out. Uh, we're missing out the main point of the text that is Christ and the church. And so, uh, because it just flows. That's how this works. That he talks about these relationships, one to another, wives to husbands, husbands to wives, and then he's now gonna get into children and parents. And so, uh, this is an interesting uh, passage. Uh, that I was, I was doing some uh, research and studying and, and I, I don't remember the last time I've done this. I'm, I, to, this, is, this is the truth. That I, uh, the other day I was mowing my lawn and I thought, you know what, while I'm mowing my lawn, which I do not enjoy, I get zero enjoyment from mowing the lawn. Um, you know, some people like doing yard work. No, it, it is literally, it's part of the curse. It's part of the curse. Work by the sweat of your brow. Like, no, yeah, because I got to do it again next week. Um, can't stand it, in case you couldn't tell. Uh, but anyways, so I thought, I'm going I'm to uh, put my headphones in, and, uh, and I'm going to uh, then... Everything okay? Okay. All right, sorry. I see people walking around in the back that I know that I get a little... Oh. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Here's some clicking. We're all good. All right. Um, Okay, so, so I'm on the lawn, I put my headphones in, I thought, you know what, I'm gonna try to find something. I'm gonna try to listen to somebody else that might even have, has preached on this before while I'm mowing my lawn and I put my headphones in and my boys, they, you know, they hear the lawnmowers start and they gotta grab their little lawnmowers and follow me around, it's a lot of fun. Um, but they're like, you know, daddy, what are you, what are you listening to? And I was like, well, I'm, I'm actually working while I work, you know, cause this is, this is work and so I might as well do something profitable um, <laughs> with my time other than mow the lawn, uh, which is not, profitable. And, uh, and so I, I, was, I was trying to find something. And I, and I was really struggling to find uh, anybody who didn't just take these nine verses and just make it about law. And like, this is what it meant. Like there's one, the whole sermon was about, this is why children, we, this is why we don't have children's ministries, right? That, that was like the whole purpose. Of, and it's like, ah, okay, okay. We could maybe make the argument, but from this verse, like, ah, I don't know. 
I'm struggling with that. One of them was entitled, The Gospel Changes Everything, and then just continued to list rules on how we need to honor our moms and dads. And I, it, I just, man, is that just doesn't seem to be the big picture of the text. Um, and so I want to, and I've mentioned this before, kind of a fancy word is authorial intent. What is the author's main purpose of the text to the people that he was writing to. And if I don't understand it in, in Paul's context to the church in Ephesus, there's no way I can jump to conclusions and applications now in my context. It, it, we're, we're missing a huge, huge gap there. And so we have to be able to understand it in Paul's context and in the context of what he's writing about. And, and he even quotes Old Testament. So what, let's, let's get into that. So the first relationship that we're going to see is children to parents. Again, kind of like last week, this is not a sermon on how to raise your kids, right? Here's five ways on how to be a better parent. It's not what it is. Uh, it's not gonna be here, here's, uh, hey, you're all adults, but you're all children, so, so here are ways that we can honor our parents, right? This is about Christ and the church. So again, verse 32, the verse right before this is this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church, children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. This word obey here, uh, and so I'm gonna make a couple comments and then we're gonna, we're gonna kinda get the bigger picture, okay? So children, obey your parents in the Lord for this is right. That word obey is very different from the word that we looked at last week of submit to one another and wives submit to your husband because that's voluntary. This is not voluntary. Uh, this is like, a, this is a command. This is an imperative love. You, you will obey your parents. But then in the Lord, right? And so this isn't some, some weapon or some tool uh, for parents to use in their children to like everything I say, you gotta do it right now. Uh, it's right. No, but it's in the, it's in the Lord. There's, there's, a, there's a, a heart motivation here that's raising children in a way that would please the Lord. Uh, and then it says, uh, he says this, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Now we can again, put ourselves in the context uh, and we can assume that Paul, as he's reading this letter or wants this letter to be read to the, to the church and the churches around the area, that he is expecting children to be in the room. Right, and which is what we have that a lot, um, right? And I, uh, listen, I, this is true. Before I had children five years ago, I used to have this prayer when I would see kids like acting up and start whining. And it would be like, Jesus, can you please calm the demon and that child down? Uh, that child, that demon is distracting people from hearing the gospel, right? It was just like, kids were the most distracting thing. And then I had kids and now I don't even... <laughs> I don't even think about it. I mean, now it's just like, well, it just is a demon. They're not possessed. Like, it's just, no, I'm kidding. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> right? But it's just like, uh, it's, just, it's just been a shift, right? And so I expect children to be here. But what's interesting here is that the Apostle Paul, that word for children is not little children or young children or infants. Uh, there was, there's Greek words for that. And that's not what Paul chooses to use. It is a, a, an idea of just of a, of a child. Uh, that, like someone's offspring, that's the, that's the word that's used. And so maybe by a show of hands, how many of you are a child of somebody? Yeah, yeah, unanimous, right, all across the board. 
And so that's where, that's where I think if we, if we get too nitty gritty, what does this mean? How old is a child? Once I hit, you know, maybe in his context, maybe once I hit 13, now I'm an adult or I'm a, I'm a man, or maybe when now in our context, it's 16, is it 18, is it 21, is it 45? What, when do we stop being, is it after my parents both die? Like when, okay, let's calm down. And let's, let's broader picture of the context of what's happening here. Um, and, and, and we have to ask the question is, is this true, <laughs> right? Is this statement, children, you are all children, honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise so that it may go well with you that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So does that mean people who die young are terrible people because they don't honor their moms and dads? Does it mean that anyone who lives to a ripe old age honored their father and mother? No. And yet this verse has been used as a crux, as a hammer. Um, I know it was used in my life growing up, not so much by my parents, but I remember my grandma quoting this verse to me all the time. Um, and, and it happened by in our churches, it would just happen. And I remember, I remember this is I, right after my dad died, again, I was 14 and there was an evangelist. Uh, and, and, I, and I remember his name, I'm not gonna say it, but he, because not that it matters, but <laughs> like, oh, he's my, he's my cousin. I don't know, I'm not gonna say his name. So he, he, he got done preaching on these verses and it was, this, it was kind of more of an abusive language of like, because if you, if you do this, this is a promise and it's guaranteed that you're gonna live a longer life if you don't. And I remember going up to him afterwards and I, and I remember saying, Jim, that was his actual name, uh, hey, Jim, uh, I'm confused on this because my dad just died and he, he did honor his mom and dad that he, he, I remember, and he even honored his, his grandma and grandpa. We used to drive like three hours to go see my grandma, his grandma, my great grandma all the time in Hoopston, Illinois, sweet corn capital of the world. We used to always go down there, right? So he honored his mom and dad. So, so tell me how that fits in what you just said with the death of my dad. And he was like, well, probably what happened was that he, he probably should have died younger, but God extended his life. That's horrible. That's horrible. Um, so what's this mean? Let's get into this. All right. So now here, what's the apostle Paul do? He's quoting a text. He's quoting the Old Testament, honor your father and mother. And then he's going to change gears. So that's the quote. And then he's going to continue on, which is the first commandment with a promise. So he's quoting the big 10. He's quoting the 10 commandments and he's quoting the fifth commandment. And this fifth commandment, like he says, is the first commandment that kind of has this stipulation, this promise. All right, so let's, let's go into the text. Where is he quoting? Deuteronomy 5.16. This is the list of the 10 commandments. This is what it says. This is what's chiseled uh, and hammer from John Heston, John Heston, Charleston Heston. Honor your father and mother as the Lord your God commanded you that your days may be long and it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. Okay, so the apostle Paul is quoting this verse and he's just saying, yeah, this, this is the first command with promise that you may live long and prosper, <laughs> right? That's, isn't that Spock's thing, live long and prosper? Um, that's what he's saying. Now, that's what God is saying in the commandment. But we can't just leave it there. Okay, that's what it means. Honor, honor your father and mother. Law, duty, obey, be good. Be better and you'll live longer. It's, there's so much more going on here. So again, um, I've used this word, fancy word, metalepsis or context, uh, is, but metalepsis is the idea that I'm gonna read one little quote from the Apostle Paul, honor your father and mother, end quote, and I wanna go back to it and read its fuller context. And imagine this, get this. 
The Bible actually helps us interpret this. What does it mean to honor my father and mother? What does it mean that I'm gonna have a long life? This is chapter six, this is the very next chapter. And, uh, and we get the answers, right? This is like the, uh, the odd numbers in the back of your, of your, your math book. Uh, algebra two, my teacher only assigned the odd. Um, I don't remember anything from algebra two, in case you were wondering. These are the commands, chapter six, Deuteronomy chapter six, one through 25. I'm gonna read this whole chapter, okay? So I'm just gonna read it, uh, try not to make too many, but just, just listen to the subtlety of like, this isn't just the law to obey my mom and dad. This is a, hey, imagine this, just like the Apostle Paul is saying, this is a, a lifestyle. This is, a, this is a, a change that's gonna happen. And I'm not just gonna necessarily live long and age, but my life is gonna flourish. Why? Because how my parents raised me in the Lord. It's, it's very different than just, just obey because they're your mom and dad. They brought you into the world, they can take you out, right? That kind of thing. So that was happening here. So Deuteronomy says this. These are the commands the decrees and laws the Lord your God directed, uh, directed me, so this is Moses, he just gets the 10 commandments. These are decrees, the laws your God directed me to teach you and observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess so that you and your children and their children and them after may fear the Lord your God for as long as you live by keeping all of his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Right? That, that's the answer. <laughs> And it's not just like, I'm gonna enjoy my life because I'm living the way that God wants me to. Hear Israel and be careful to obey it, to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. But this isn't just obey mom and dad because, because you have to. This is a, I love God now with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and we're instructed to teach our kids these same things. These commandments that I give you uh, today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Uh, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Now, Israelites, the Jews end up taking those verses extremely literally and they make these things called phylacteries and they actually have these leather straps and they bind these scripture verses to their arms and they tie them around their head and they write them on their doorposts. It's not that kind of law. <laughs> this is a lifestyle. This is a, this is a change that's happening. That this, is, this is every part of me that it's as if I literally have them written on my hands and my forehead. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. And when you eat and you are satisfied, be careful you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take uh, your oaths in his name. This is right as Moses kind of expanding on the Ten Commandments that it's not just a list of laws, of rules, these 10 things you do, this is a way of life. Do not follow other gods and the gods of the, the people around you for your Lord, your God, who is among you is a jealous God and his anger will burn against you and he will destroy you from the face of this land, okay? You want, 
young life, you wanna die young, he's saying, go astray, worship false gods, okay? Do not put the Lord your God to the test as you did at Messiah, uh, Messiah, Messiah. Uh, be sure to keep the commands of the Lord your God and the stipulations and decrees that he has given you. Do what is right and good in the Lord's sight, that it may go well with you and you may uh, go and take over the good land that the Lord promised on oath to your ancestors, uh, thrusting out all of your enemies before you, as the Lord said. In the future, when your son asks you, what is the meaning of the stipulations, decrees, and laws Lord God has commanded you, tell him, we were slaves of Pharaoh in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand before the eyes of the Lord sent signs and wonders great and terrible on Egypt and Pharaoh and his whole household. But he brought us out from there to bring us in and give us the land that he promised an oath to our ancestors. The Lord commanded us to obey all these decrees and to fear the Lord our gods so that we might always prosper and be kept alive as is the case today. This is a community aspect of being kept alive. This is the, the redemption story that the bloodline of Christ is gonna come from these people and it's to be kept alive, it's to be ongoing. And if we are careful to obey all this law before the Lord our God as he has commanded us, that will be our righteousness. <laughs> the Bible talks about righteousness that is this, uh, this right way of living or kind of the, the, the simple way, simplistic way to think about this word of righteousness um, is that it's as if I've never sinned. I've, I'm made right before God. And the only way they're saying to be made right before God is to live this way, to, to walk in his commandments and then in, inform our children, to raise our children in that same manner. And so the saints of old have this faith and these promises of God and the, and the commands that he makes and it is their salvation. And part of that, part of their way of believing the promises of God and the faith and the fulfillment of God and his promises to his people is also then to raise their children in the same way. We are told that there is none righteous, not one, no one is righteous, only Christ and that he is the one who dies and it is through faith that we are imputed, that we wear now his righteousness and now we walk this new path and we honor God in doing so. So what are these verses then saying about Christ and the church? Well, the point is, is not that there's some magic spell on these verses that Paul wrote and if we just do it, we'll live longer. And if we don't, we might die younger. It's not the point. But our life is expanded. Our life is fulfilled. Our life is satisfied when we walk in the statutes that God has commanded. And when we obey God and we love him, our quality of life increases because God's laws are not arbitrary. There's nothing that God says about how we ought to live in the New Testament in our way of life that is, that is uh, backwards in thinking or unhealthy. It's only meant for our good. And so we obey as children. We obey. Why? Because again, we are all children. And we obey our parents and the Lord for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Again, this is a, a way of life. 
I'm not going to get into what does it mean to honor your father and mother because there are people in this room who don't have Christian parents. They weren't raised in the Lord, right? My dad died, so I guess I don't got to worry about that anymore. Man, it'd be easier if my mom died too because then I don't have to worry about it. No, of course not. That's not what, that's not what the Apostle Paul's talking about here. It's a way of life. And so we can allegorize this a little bit, right? That we are all children and we have a heavenly father who loves us and wants us to follow in his ways and love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We could allegorize it in the sense that we are children. And if this is our family, uh, and we submit to one another in that way, we obey one another. So that's the, that's the first aspect of children to parents. Now let's look at parents to children because now it's going to be flipped here. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instructions of the Lord. Uh, this, this is also mothers, but again, in their context, uh, moms stayed home, raised the kids. That's not the case uh, in our culture. Uh, but, but definitely for sure, dads, don't just be absent-minded. Don't just yell at your kids when they're doing something wrong. Because I can tell you right now, the, the rules in my house compared to the, the law of God in the New Testament is very vastly different, right? The rules are don't talk with food in your mouth. Uh, make sure you wash your hands, right? This, <clears throat> that may extend their life, I guess, but not so much talking with food. Well, I could choke. That's, that's what we tell them. You can choke on that, right? Don't talk with food in your mouth right? But you show me your food in your mouth. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Don't do it though. It's gross. No one wants to see that. It's amazing. I, as I was reading this, I was like, initially I'm like, clearly the apostle Paul didn't have kids and he has no idea what he's talking about, right? What do you, where's the verse that says, children don't exasperate your fathers, right? Where's that verse, <laughs> right? It's <laughs> because it just, that's part of it. And I think of this verse, you have no idea how many times this verse pops into my head when I'm with my boys. Uh, <laughs> That because it's not so much like when I ask them to do something to be obedient uh, that, that I feel like I'm exasperating them. I feel like I'm exasperating them uh, when I put my arm around them, especially Jack. Jack is not a physical touch kind of guy, right? And so if I got my arm around him, it's like, dad, stop, right? I'm like, oh, do not exasperate your children, right? It's like he doesn't want it, right? It just pops in my head all the time. I, uh, but the thing is, <laughs> um, I'm not a perfect father. We're not perfect parents, Right? Uh, we didn't grow up with perfect fathers. Uh, none of us did. And uh, I just recently watched the movie, um, It's a Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood. It's uh, uh, Tom Hanks does a really, really good job of, of portraying Steve, uh, or sorry, um, Mr. Who? Fred Rogers. Fred Rogers. Thank you. Thank you. Fred Rogers. Um, but uh, the story that I wanted to tell, though, is uh, Steve Treichler, my, my boss, senior pastor of all the Hope community locations, he was going with his wife to the movie theater. And on his way in, he said uh, to his wife, Carol, he said, I wonder if, if Mr. Rogers was, um, was a Christian, you know, was a believer. And then he watched the movie and on his way out, he said, I, I turned to my wife and I said, I wonder if I'm a Christian, <laughs> right? It was just that kind of movie. It's, and it's, we just watched it, it's, it's fantastic. And, and, and you're, you're thinking the whole time, at least I was a lot of like, I don't act like Steve Rogers around my kids. I can tell you that. Steve, who, why do I keep doing that? Is Steve Rogers even a person? Captain who? Captain oh, Captain America. Oh, brother. <laughs> I'm sure Steve Rogers would make a great dad too. Um, 
Right, but Fred Rogers of like, and it even comes up in the movie that someone's interviewing him and says, it must have been hard on your kids to have Fred Rogers, Mr. Rogers, as their dad. And, and it just, even just how he responds, it's just amazing. It really, really is a good movie. I, I'm not that kind of dad. I, I'm not slow uh, in my responses and my anger. And it's like, no, I was calm four times. Now the fifth time I'm allowed to raise my voice, right? And you had your chance. I, I struggle with this. But what we do is we submit to our heavenly father who does not exasperate us, who does not ask us to do something beyond uh, our, our ability and our, our, our need to be able to, to love him and see him for who he is. And then we're to be brought up in instruction of the Lord. So again, in the context of, of us, what are these verses saying about Christ and the church? This I think could be for uh, myself or uh, the elders or anybody in leadership to not use you for my own gain to say, oh, I want you to do this and do that. Well, why? Because I said so. I want to instruct you in the Lord. I want you to see that this is a, a way of life, a walk of life, and not just to be forced to doing it because I said so. The next one here is slaves to masters. Let me read this, and then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk a little bit more about this. This is the passage here. Slaves, obey. Again, same word. You will obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor with, uh, when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one, of you, each one for whatever good they do, uh, whether they are slave or free. Many years ago, before um, we even started Hope Lower Town, I preached uh, out of the book of Philemon. And the book of Philemon is a, a book written by the Apostle Paul, the same author of this book, written to a, a Christian slave, a Christian runaway slave, and the book of Philemon is encouraging Philemon to go, or yeah, is it, oh, that's, is it Philemon's this? Philemon, he's writing the letter to Philemon, and he's saying, I want you to go back to your Christian slave master. All right, so I, I preach this message. I think I knock it out of the park, right? I'm, I'm riding high. Like, man, I, I told people theologically, this is how we ought to love one another. This is how, as servants, as slaves, that we ought to obey. And I remember I got done, and I've never, in my time at Hope, uh, got, the, got the phone call or the email from my boss saying, we, we need to meet. Uh, but, but that day I did. And that day, Steve was like, what did you just do? <laughs> right? In a, in a good and loving way. Why? Because I didn't talk about the evilness and the atrocities that is slavery. Okay? And, and so I'm not, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read, I mean, for the, the longest quote I've ever read. Okay? So giddy up, pay attention. Uh, if you don't like me, my, the way I read, then, then take a little nap here. Um, but in, in no way, so I need you to hear this. In no way at all am I trying to justify slavery, even slavery in the context of the first century. No way. I'm not trying to justify the evil that is slavery, that was slavery, the atrocities that happened because of slavery. I'm not trying to justify it by understanding it, oh, well, that was just different in their context, so I guess it's okay. It's not what I'm trying to do. That doesn't make it right, all right? 
I'm just trying to play, just help us understand this a little bit better. And I'm not an expert on Greco-Roman first century slavery. Okay, so I'm going to read a quote here on somebody who's done their research. Um, and I'm, we're going to get very inception. We're going to get like four layers deep of me reading somebody who's quoting somebody who's quoting somebody, right? Um, but I want to read this. And I think it will just help us appreciate what's happening here in the context a little bit more and how we can then apply it. So let me just, let me read this. Um, and this is Tim Keller uh, in his book, Every Good Endeavor. And so let me just, let me just read this. Paul is speaking to servants and masters in Ephesians 6, 5 through 9, right where we're at. And this raises many questions in the minds of modern readers about the Bible's depiction of the evil of slavery. While much can be said about this subject, it is important to remember that slavery in the Greco-Roman world was, excuse me, not the same as the new world institutions that were developed in the wake of African slave trade. Slavery in Paul's time was not race-based and was seldom lifelong. It was more like what we would call an indentured servitude. But for our purpose, purposes, think of this passage as a rhetorical amplifier and consider this. If slave owners are told they must not manage workers in pride and through fear, how much more should this be true of employers today? And if slaves are told it is possible to find satisfaction and meaning in their work, how much more should this be true of workers today? The modern reader winces at the words slave in verse five and masters in verse nine, largely because we immediately think only of modern African slave trade in which slavery was race-based, lifelong, and based on kidnapping. However, in the ancient world, there were many slaveries, different types of slaves. There is a good evidence that much of slavery was very harsh and brutal, but there's also a lot of evidence that many slaves were not treated like African slaves would be, but lived normal lives and were paid the going wage. They were paid, but were not allowed to quit or change employers and were in slavery an average of 10 years. Prisoners of war often became slaves. The men could be sentenced to uh, being alley, galley slaves for crimes. A person become a slave for a set period of time in order to work off debts because there was no such thing as bankruptcy in ancient times. Often the result was an indebted servitude for years until the debts were paid. To our surprise, slaves could own slaves, and many slaves were doctors, professors, administrators, and civil servants. And so then he's going to say, see this, this gentleman's other book, uh, Lincoln. And he says that in uh, his word commentary on Ephesians, uh, in his survey, Lincoln says that no one in ancient times could conceive an economic or labor structure without it. While there were brutal forms of slavery, the concept, indentured labor in which the laborer was not free to market his skills to other employers, was considered a given. Quoting another scholar, he writes, uh, this is now Lincoln quoting some other scholar, he writes that this was so accepted, one cannot correctly speak of the slave problem in antiquity. In other words, no one, not even slaves, thought the whole institution should be abolished. This is why Paul's letters do not even aim at abolishing slavery, slavery but rather aim to transform uh, the variegated ancient institution uh, from the inside. As the scholar F.F. F. Bruce says about Paul's brief statements about the equality of slaves and masters in the first book of Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philemon. What Paul's letters do 
is bring us into an atmosphere in which the institution of slavery could only wilt and die. That is quite right. Slavery was an accepted institution in all cultures and societies of the world from the time immemorial. Only within Christianity did the idea eventually arise that slavery was an abominable institution to be abolished. Why? Largely because of the implications of the gospel laid out by Paul. So again, I'm not gonna sit here and not, not defending slavery, not defending Paul, that we would say, nope, that's evil in all kinds, but think of it in the sense of an indentured servitude. And there's just no really good modern analogy of it. There's not like, hey, I'm gonna put this in our context. What would this be like today? Uh, we just don't have maybe uh, someone who's in, in prison making license plates, right? Making $1.94 an hour or whatever it is, right? That, that, they don't have a choice. They're, they're working, they're doing this thing. Um, and so, so maybe it could be something like that, but yet this is not a, a one for one. Um, but, the, but the language here is this idea of a, of a bond servant, uh, of, of an indentured servitude, okay? And then that, and the, the evil, slavery, evil, bad. Don't want it, don't ever want to see it ever again. Uh, and we should speak of it clearly like that. And then looking at, okay, but what is Paul getting at? And what are these verses then again saying about Christ and the church? I want to again go back to these passages. And so we think of it that way, bond servants, indentured servants, Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves for Christ. This is this word, it, it, it's doulos in the Greek, but it's this word of, and it's, and it's used of us, of all of us, that we are all indentured servants, that we are all slaves of Christ. That we obey Christ. We don't, and we don't buck against the system, right? I'm not getting a wage. I'm not even getting paid for, for serving Jesus. Well, I guess I am, uh, technically, uh, right? But I'm, I'm not getting rewarded in that sense, right? I don't, I don't get to change teams. I don't get to change them. Again, I guess I could. This is falling apart. Uh, but you, you get what I'm saying, right? Um, that I, I am a servant of Christ, and I do so willingly, doing the will of God from your heart. Again, it's this life change. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one of you whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. This is not about um, equality because the Apostle Paul already says that there is no slave or free. There is no male or female. There is no Jew or Gentile that we are all equal at the foot of the cross. And that there are some of us who are employees and we need to act that way. And I would say, how does, what does this mean for the church? Uh, and, and I'm not, uh, I, I, I need to do this too, because we are renters. We are renters of this space. And to show ownership, to care, and we've done that. We've had cleaning days. And, and if you, you see trash, pick it up. It's so easy to have the mindset of like, uh, it's not my building or it's not my, my thing. I didn't make that mess, so I'm not going to clean it up. Just, but if we all have that attitude, what a different way uh, that we would treat and respect the space even. Uh, I had a manager when I worked for Joe's, Joe's Crab Shack that he would take money and hide it in trash and like put it on the floor on purpose. And so if like you, because you wanted to instill ownership, I'm not going to start doing that around here, don't worry. Uh, but, but you could still pick up trash if you see it, um, right? But again, as a free individual, as someone who wants to worship Christ, because I am a servant of Christ, I'm a bond servant of Christ, the same exact way that Jesus was. 
I read this, these verses last week, but it's the same language. And your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Same word, doulos, slave, bondservant. That he submits himself to the will of his father. And so these verses are about a way of life that I obey Christ even when no one's looking. The last little section here that we'll look at is masters to slaves. And it says this, and masters treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there's no favoritism with him. Now clearly this is a uh, calling out masters, slave masters who have slaves and these indentured service to, to treat them with dignity and respect, uh, with not favorites, not to be harsh with them. Why? Because I too have a master. That individual, that master has the master who is in heaven and there's no favoritism with the father. We are all equal at the foot of the cross. And so again, what are these verses saying about Christ in the church. I think any form of leadership in the local, at the local level, the small group leaders or working with children, elders, or uh, whatever it may be, employers, etc., is to not show favoritism. I, th I think humanly we, we do this. We, we judge people, the way they look, the way they dress, what kind of job they have, what kind of car they, they drive, whatever maybe we just, we just, it's just part of our sin nature to, to judge people. And it's sin, that's bad. Um, and, but what the Apostle Paul is calling us to do here is to not show favoritism, right? And so I might have people that I maybe get along more with. It doesn't mean I, I show favoritism, right? I promote that person or, I, or I, I spend more time with that person because I like them more than, than this person. We have this phrase at Hope uh, that we say we are saved by grace, but our employment is by works, <laughs> right? That I still have to work. I still have to do my, and if I'm not good at my job and I get chided for it, then, 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 I'm, then that's not good, right? I need to do my job, but I shouldn't be showing favoritism for somebody who works harder or is a better employer. There's no favoritism. That we have to love everyone equally. So in conclusion, I've just got two gospel applications here before we take communion, and it's this. We honor Christ and we honor one another when we love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That again, this is, this is a change of life. This isn't just obey and do it, submit, be good, don't do bad, and then God will love me more. And that, no, that doesn't honor anybody. That when we love God, we have this heartfelt change to be pursuing Christ, to be pursuing the Father, everything changes. And the last one here is that we serve one another the, the same way Christ serves us. That we are servants of one another, and we are servants of Christ. We are servants of our master who is in heaven. We are servant to Christ who is also obedient and submissive to his father. He is our obedient brother. That Jesus is a bondservant to the will of the father. And so as we partake of these elements of the, the bread that represents the body of Christ and the juice that represents his blood, that we do it in remembrance of him, of who Christ is and who he, who, he, who he is right now and what he's done for us. 
that we then submit to him and we love the way that he loved, that we work the way that he worked, that we minister the way that he ministered, not out of duty and obligation, but out of love. It's a lifestyle change. I'm gonna pray and then the worship team's gonna come back up here and we're gonna sing two uh, songs. And so feel free as you see fit and led to go ahead and grab some of the elements. Um, and then take a seat and partake of those elements uh, in your own time, and then feel free to stand and sing along. Um, and I would ask that you're a follower of Jesus. You're a follower of Jesus. I would love to partake of these elements with you. Uh, you don't need to be a member of this church or any church. Uh, but if you say, yeah, I'm a, I want to follow Jesus. I am a follower of Jesus. Um, I have been forgiven of my sins, uh, and I do love him. I'm not perfect. I don't always obey perfectly, uh, but it is my heart to, to do that. Then I would love to uh, partake of these elements with you. Let me pray, and then we'll have the worship team sing a couple songs, then we'll be dismissed. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your heart towards us. I thank you that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us, that he submitted himself to you so that we could then serve him, to serve you, to serve one another, not out of duty and obligation, that we get to do these things, that, that those of us who are parents would not look at these verses as, as law, as you're gonna love me more or I will save my kids somehow, because I can't do that, only you can. That it should just encompass everything, that as even as in Deuteronomy says, that as we sit down to eat, that we're instructing them, as we go for walks, that we're talking about God, and we're talking about this, the sacrifice of your son. And for those of us who, who maybe don't have Christian parents or weren't maybe raised in that way, but now we are part of that family, that we can instruct one another in the Lord and that we would do that together. And so I just pray now, Lord, that you would be honored and glorified as we sing these songs, we partake of these elements to remember the finished work of Christ on the cross so that we are now able and we are set free to love the way that he loves. And it's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.